and welcome to Church for the Cities podcast in Yuma, Arizona with lead pastor Tyrone P. Jones. Our mission is for people to encounter the reality and presence of God. For sermon videos and next steps, visit us at ctcfamily.com. Now join us for the message. Good morning to you. It's good to see you indeed. And those of you that are here with us, thank you for, for just complying with what we requested and you know, I was sitting here thinking, you know, these messages, the services stay online for a while. I'm, I'm looking forward to the day when I can look at one of the services and think, remember when we had to wear a mask, but, which I hope is sooner than later, but we'll, we'll see. But it's good to be here. I don't know if some of you saw the results of the, of the poll, but the, the Raiders mask won the most creative. Uh, I don't, did you guys see the results of that? That was already voted upon and I kind of knew I was that was going to happen uh, anyway but um, but it's good to be here those of you that are watching us online thank you uh, for being with us and we're just looking forward to another great day uh, in the house of the Lord and uh, just believe in God for great uh, and awesome and awesome things and we want to thank you as we always do for your generosity even during this season and time you've been so faithful in your giving and and just just responding to the will of God for our life. We know as believers uh, that it's God's word, God's will for us to be generous. And we believe in generosity and our church has been blessed because of the generosity, not only from from you, but the generosity of CTC as a whole that's had an impact uh, literally, literally around the world. So every time you come into the building, there's so many ways you can give through through the offering boxes. You can also give online. You can also give... Uh, by text, and uh, you can also give uh, through the CTC app by establishing that. So thank you for doing that. Uh, we're going to, I want to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers, and thank you for being who you are. Uh, we'll have a, a little video here in, in, uh, in, just, in just a moment. It's a great day to celebrate. It just happens to be the first day of summer uh, also here. But Yuma, it's kind of hard. First day of summer, it's kind of hard to really say when the first day of summer is. But officially, this is the first day uh, uh, of summer. For those of you that don't live in Yuma, Arizona, this is the first day of summer. So, uh, but we, we are thankful for those of you that have just committed your life to uh, serving your families, serving your children, and uh, just thank you for being the men uh, that you are. I want to pray uh, for our, our uh, campuses, our locations um, that are planted in different places. Uh, Pastor Norman and Supriya are planted in Shandigar, uh, India, which is in northern India. And from their location, they have planted 10 other churches. And so we're grateful to God for what they have done uh, there and their, and their part. And that's, again, because of your commitment to giving. And, and uh, we provide uh, the greatest portion of the support for them to do the church planting there. Uh, in that area. Pastor Rabond and Rosemary are in Guiani, South Africa, which is actually kind of closer to Mozambique. It's six and a half hours up from Johannesburg, but from his location, he's, he's planted two other uh, campuses and just doing an amazing job. And uh, again, uh, because of your, su- your, your support and, and generosity. And then we have Pastor David down in San Luis, Mexico, and we're grateful for the work that he is doing there. And uh, we're praying as we're developing the campuses in the campus in, in uh, San Luis, uh, Arizona. Uh, we're thankful for uh, Pastor Jacob and Denise and the work that they're doing serving there. And, and Joel and Maddie Gaton, we're thankful uh, for them. And just believe in God for, for his, his great 
uh, great work. So I want to pray. I want to pray for just local local churches. Obviously, um, again, there's a there's a group of us that that talk uh, at least every Monday, uh, and then we may we may talk to each other several times during the week, just navigating through this as a as a church family and a church body. And so we'll pray we'll pray for uh, for each of the local churches, and one in particular we'll pray for this morning. But I also, of course, want to pray for our nation, and uh, you know the COVID. Uh, 19 seems to be not just resurging here I guess maybe in other places from what I'm uh, what I'm gathering I've really uh, I think I've turned the news on one time in seven days I got so uh, you know just kind of frustrated with things that's going on and yet praying but uh, but I understand it's kind of surging everywhere and then we're still walking through some various things on racial tension I do want to uh, just say this it's been it's been an honor, first of all, for a couple of reasons, just being in Yuma, Arizona, and, and just having the mindset that we have here as a city. Um, I'm grateful that it's not that some of racism and things don't, you, you, you're, you're going to find that everywhere, and you always will. Uh, it's been here since mankind was on the planet and will be until Jesus comes. But I'm grateful to live in a city where we don't experience some of the outward things that others experience in other places. We've just found a way to learn how to uh, work together, live together, and just get along together. And I think a lot of that is because of what God is doing in, in, in our church. It's good, not just our church, but, but being Passover of a multicultural, uh, multi-generational congregation has just been a great joy and a great example. I say that to say that in the last 10, 10 days, 10 to 12 days uh, from Yuma, which is another thing, haven't had to get on the plane, I've preached in five different churches in five states in the last 12, uh, 12 days. One last night, uh, that, that, that service is also being broadcast this morning in Upper State New York, Baltimore last week, and two, two churches in, in Washington week before, and uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. So, but, but, but you know why? I can tell a story. I can tell a story what God has done in our life, my life, the church life, and what God has done in our city, and so it's been a real, real blessing. So. Just thank you for being a great, uh, great uh, example. I get to boast about CTC uh, everywhere uh, I go, and whether I'm there physically or on screen, I get to boast about about you as a church, and so I'm thankful. So let's let's pray. I, I do want to say this. I I, I think um, I know that people, a lot of people have have um, have stated this, and and I, I just think it's probably becoming more of a reality to me. There's a whole lot more spiritually going on with this COVID than just a virus. And I really do think that we as believers primarily, whatever God is saying to us, we need to get it. We need to get it. Whatever he's saying, we need to get it. Y'all all right with me saying that? If that means falling on your knees every day and asking God to search your heart, then just do it. If, if any one of us are a part of what God is trying, what God is trying to work through, then let every one of us be the ones that say, Lord, come on, help me to be what you want me to be. Am I talking to the right church? And so let's, let's pray, let's ask God for his help through, um, through all of this and certainly want some peace in our land and just, uh, just to end to a lot of the divisions on, on every aspect. I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking you're sitting next to somebody that you that you least trust and you love and you're okay holding their hand, right? Uh, or close to somebody. If not, 
If not, some of y'all looking at me like, dude, can't you see my mask? I'm telling everybody something, but, but uh, just wherever you're comfortable, I just want to take a moment to go before God together. Can we do it? Uh, Jesus, I just, I, I know that you are a God that oversees and knows all things. And, and you're searching our land. You're searching this earth. You're searching our communities. And, and Lord, I just conclude that you find us lacking, find us wanting, whether it be on a personal level, whether it be on a family level, whether it be on a, on a tribal level, state level, national level, church level. And Father, I just want us to go before you now and just ask for your forgiveness. Whatever arena that we have been part of any cause of anything that's affecting us as a people and in this land. Lord, we want to turn from that and embrace what your heart and your will is for us as people, individually and as we come together corporately. We're asking you, Lord God, for healing for those that are in the hospital with, with the coronavirus, those that even may be at home. Lord, we're praying for healing, praying that the Spirit of God will just move and there'll be a real breakthrough uh, over these next few days in our community. We pray for the medical workers, Lord, who have just served so, so faithfully through all of this and the sacrifice that they're making. Lord, we're asking you to be with them and keep them healthy in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for decisions on the local level, state level, national level regarding uh, our interaction with people and engagement. And pray, Lord God, that we use wisdom uh, in all things. And, and just believe, Lord God, that you would honor that as we approach this in a manner of humility. Father, we pray for our cities, cities in this land that are, that are divided, people that are divided, uh, the, the things that are going on that are just hard to watch, uh, the damage that's taking place in our cities and things that are being torn down and just, just the overwhelming um, anger and rage that's, and some of it I just say foolishness and silliness that's, that's just pervading. Um, Lord, we, we pray for the right voices to make the right decisions to bring us to a place of peace and a place of rest. Throughout the scriptures, Lord God, when the nation of Israel was at war, oftentimes we just read through chapter after chapter and chapter after chapter, and then we'll get to a place where the scripture will say, but the nation was at rest. Father, I pray for rest for this nation, a rest in our cities, a rest in our states. Let, let us be a people that come to a place of rest where the warring within us doesn't become warring outside of us with other people who you've created, who you've made, who you love. Lord, let us see the big picture, that there is a God and a Savior that loves every one of us in spite of who we are and what we look like, that you love us all and help us to have the same heart, the same mind, and the same embrace of one another. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to, to bring forth the gospel. I pray for your anointing to do it, not just for me, Lord, but for those dear men, men and women of God that are in various places, various pulpits, our CTC locations, and also, Father, for the pastor of Desert Grace, community church, Nazarene church there in the foothills, be with him, his church family, his family, uh, and the team that serves in that part of the vineyard. 
We thank you for the giving. We thank you for the generosity. We thank you for the love of the people of God who are committed, even through all these challenges, Lord God, to be faithful unto you. And we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to be a voice in the places that you've placed us. In Christ's name we pray. May the people of God say amen. Amen. You're going to see a video celebrating fathers, and then we're going to get right on into the word. Reminiscing about the olden days before I was even born and watching like old 60s or 70s commercials or old TV shows. Uh, my dad was really funny um, and one of the quotes that I, I say to my kids quite often is, a hard head makes a soft behind. Uh, me and dad are big NASCAR fans. We went every single year, twice a year, to Phoenix International Raceway. I haven't gone in a couple years of him, but I look forward to going to more. When I was younger, we would always play video games. We would always play uh, the Nintendo, the old Nintendo. My dad would always tell me as I was getting older, if you had a bad day, you made it that way. And that's always stuck with me. I just love that. Growing up, when I was little, the activity I enjoyed with my dad the most was definitely reading stories right before bed. So I would say the most valuable lesson that my dad taught me is how a husband should love his wife and what I should be looking for in a man. And so I've always watched how my dad treated my mom, how he provided for her needs, how he provided just for even like, you know, like the house and the finances and those kind of practical things. But at the same time, he was always caring for my mom. My dad is a farmer in Minnesota and Sometimes there would be days and even weeks of rain and my dad would be patiently waiting to be able to get into the field. And sometimes the first dry day would land on a Sunday and that was the day that he could have been either planting or harvesting, but uh, without fail, not once do I ever remember us or him skipping church or missing worship to stay home and do the work. Um, it was always priority number one to go to church and be there as a family and the farming had to wait. So I'm just super grateful. My dad was always faithful to the Lord, number one. One of the greatest lessons my dad ever taught me is something he taught me my first year of ever playing tackle football. And I've actually been able to use uh, this exact quote in everything I've done in life. And I've seen him live this out in his life as well. On our first day hitting with pads, he said, son, keep your head up, your eyes open bring everything you got, and never stop moving your feet. He, he would do anything. He valued people more than he valued money or anything else. He enjoyed being around people, talking to people, and just loving on people. A lesson that he taught me from when I was really young is to be a leader, not a follower. I'm, I'm able to set the atmosphere and not let anybody change who I am. A lesson that he's taught me is uh, to not take people for granted, to uh, love people in the moment while you're with them, and that's what I try to do. A value that my dad has taught me would be to always pray about everything and to not just jump into any decision or um, something that I want to do with my life. He would always tell me to stop and pray about it first. A specific value that my dad taught me, honestly, was good leadership, and he taught me that in uh, so many ways, both at home and in the community. The greatest value I learned from my dad is definitely perseverance. No matter what challenge we face, no matter what comes our way, we know that we are going to get through it by the power of the Holy Spirit. My dad always told us to have integrity, to um, be true to who God says we were. And so um, 
if, if anything tried to take me to the right, to the left, I always would hear my dad's voice in my head to remain with integrity. He's a little sarcastic, and my sense of humor is sarcasm with a little bit of corniness. So every once in a while, he'll send me like a corny joke that somebody told him. Like he told me one about what is a, what do you call a potato wearing glasses, and it's a spectator. So <laughs> yeah, that's their sense of humor. One quote that my dad always says is that if you don't like something, change it. I have a series of quotes from my dad. You may or may not know who he is. So I'm going to give you some of those. Bingo! I can hear a rat licking ice in this church. Am I in the right church? Son, at my age, I don't care about things like that anymore. I'm the quarterback here, and I'm the only one who can call an audible. <laughs> Staff, do you understand that? I don't know how smart you guys think I am, but I have a Yuma High education. I just want you to know that you are my favorite son, Philip. <laughs> if you ever travel with my dad and you're alongside another organization, be ready for this quote. Yeah, this is their thing, but we really get to decide what we're gonna do. Don't let them tell us what to do. I got this. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Super, super. Eh, wrong. Okay, now I know what I'm dealing with. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think we're going to that. V says she wants to go, but I don't wanna go. Yeah. We're going. I got something that I can't say. <laughs> that was good. Very good. Very good. Thank you guys for doing that. Uh, Genesis 29. Let's go to the word of the Lord. It was very well done. Um, again, production team, you guys are just doing an awesome job as a whole. I mean, my goodness, just uh, every week. You just seem to be getting better and better and better. Um, so we're in this series on uh, counterfeit gods. And I'm not going to try to recap it all. But, but in essence, you know, we have been discovering those things that there's things that we uh, live for that are, that are good things, you know, like family and success and pursuits and financial stability. Uh, influence and community, uh, love, happiness. They're, they're good things. Uh, but the problem is that we can take some of those good things uh, that God wants us to enjoy, and then we can turn them to ultimate things, to where they become the things that kind of become the center of our life and the center of our heart. And we, we respond by allowing them to dictate how we do things, how we think, how we respond to things. And uh, what, what we know now, what we're learning, that anything that takes a greater place in our life than God uh, is an idol. Uh, it's not necessarily the statue that you place, but it's just uh, that, that idolatrous mindset when something takes a greater place in our life. And uh, if, you, if you look at, look toward, I guess, look to created things for uh, the ultimate affection of your heart or to fulfill the affection of your heart, uh, you're going to discover that it always will fail. It, it always will, whether it be a person or a thing. But also, I think what you're probably discovering, because I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for getting good reports that this, this series is, is probably having more of an effect than I maybe had anticipated. But we're, we're learning that, you know, we can have some counterfeit gods and not really know that they were there. And it takes some heavy lifting to, to remove those. Uh, they need to be exposed. The word is doing that. They need to be engaged and they need to be extracted. And we need help doing that. We need help to, we got to do our part. We, we always do. Uh, we always got to do our part. And there's a part that, 
that the Lord has to help us do. Uh, I was, there was a gentleman in the gym the other day, and uh, I watched the guy. He was, he was really pumping some weight, and uh, he was with his wife and his, and his son, and uh, I guess he, there was a particular deal he wanted to try to max out on something, and I was on a machine or so behind him, and, uh, and he asked me if I would give him a spot. And I looked at the amount of weight that he was getting ready to put up there. And, uh, and, uh, and, and in case y'all wondering, if I took off this shirt, you'll know why he asked me to give him a spot. But, but I looked at the amount of weight that he was getting ready to push up there. And I, I, I actually said, man, do you, how do you want me to help you? Because it was a lot. He said, I actually only want to do two. But if I can only do one, I'll be okay with one. And so sure enough, as soon as he got ready to go down with it, I, I knew that he wasn't going to be able to do this absolutely alone. So just helped him down, helped him back up. After he'd done the first one, he thought, okay, let me go ahead and do two. And then he got up. And of course, the whole time, you know, you're kind of encouraging him along. And then when it was all said and done, I said, man, you did it. He said, no, no, no. He said, uh, you, you helped me. And I said, but I didn't, I didn't lay on that bench. I didn't pick those weights up. You did that with help. And see, that's the same way the Holy Spirit works in our life. There's a part we have to do. There's some things the Holy Spirit will not do. But he's saying, I'm right there to help you do it. That's what uh, uh, John 16, 7 through 8 tells us about the conviction, and God will do that, and he'll let us know what's right, and he'll let us know what he wants to, to deal with, but he's the one that helps us do it. And so it's just a matter of just allowing him to, to, to be the God that he is in our life. And so this week, I actually want to talk about something that you probably would never consider to be a, a, a counterfeit God. I want to talk about romantic love. I want to talk about romantic love, which is a good thing. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's good to be in love. It's good to be in love. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing that God allows us to experience uh, and to enjoy. It's biblical. It's honorable. We're designed for romantic love. Romantic love is one of those things that's it's, it's so put out there in so many ways. People, there's poems and there's artwork that you can see. There's songs and movies that uh, I think a lot of us can relate to and enjoy. Uh, Lady V and I wrote down some of our favorite uh, love songs. Um, now, we didn't agree on all these together, but uh, I wrote down some of mine. She wrote down some of hers. Some of my favorite love songs is Faithfully by Journey. Any Journey fans in the house? Ain't No Mountain High Enough. Come on, you got to love that one with Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell. Endless Love with Lionel Richie and Diana Ross. I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. Uh, that's, that's, that'll get you. And then uh, I, I think my favorite, of course, is Florida Georgia Line, Holy, H-O-L-Y. Y'all ever heard that song, Holy, 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 I'm High on Loving You? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's, 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 that's my favorite. Movies, Endless Love, The Notebook. Who doesn't like The Notebook, right? Made in Manhattan, The Bodyguard, Ghost, Sleepless in Seattle. This one's a little dark, but I love the story, A Star is Born. I like that one. But I just fell in love with the movie that was one of V's favorites, and I watched it with her the other night, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. <laughs> so, but, but, you know, romance is expressed in songs and in movies. But, again, what I know is that if you 
make romantic love the center of your life, you can set yourself up to be abused and, and manipulated and be the subject of some real pathological behaviors of another. And then there's a blindness that can come that can really cause you to violate some personal boundaries. And then the problem gets magnified because when you, when you get to that point to where that love you have becomes so much the center of your life, you can't see what's happening. You can't see what's happening. You, other people can see it. As a matter of fact, people will sit down with you and say, you know, you're, you're allowing yourself to become a different person or, or you're allowing yourself to be abused. People can see the bumps and the bruises and the heartache and all the energy you're using trying to make this relationship work because it's, you're, it's at the center of your life. And, and, and honestly, it's like watching somebody dog paddle on the lake. I mean, they're just, they're just working it and working it and working it. I've never stood on the shore and saw somebody dog paddling on the lake and say, man, they are crushing it. You know they're, they're, they're struggling. You know, hey, you need any help? No, no, no. I, I got it. I got it. I mean, you want to throw out a life preserver. Y'all, y'all, I'm all right. Y'all doing all right? The other churches I preset this week, they, they were happy. But, uh, but, so, but here's what I know. If you get this message, it, it's, it's going to help you with your children. It's going to help you with your grandchildren. It's going to help you giving counsel and advice to unmarried people. Because when people sometimes let romantic love become the center of their life, they really get some blind spots and don't see things that you can see from the outside. Because here, when, 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 it, when it goes bad, and we're dealing with it in this culture, in this land, in this church, people whose lives have been torn up, damaged, broken, and wounded because they got into a situation and they let the romance of the love be the center of their life instead of the Lord. I didn't think I was going to have to tell you this, but I better... Go ahead and buckle up your seatbelt because I'm getting ready to take this thing to another level. Because here's, here's what happens. Romantic love has a great value when it's right. But when it's done wrong and it's made the pursuit of your heart, if you have, any, if you have the thought that romantic love can heal brokenness and hurt from the past, you got it wrong. And if you think romantic love can fix the future, you got it wrong. As a matter of fact, since I'm here, I'm going to say this. Nobody should get married with the idea that marriage will make you happy. Listen, all of us should be happy in our marriage, but it's not marriage that makes you happy. Am I talking to the right church? Because if two people marry one another, if people marry one another with the idea that that person's going to make me happy and the other one has the idea that that person is going to make me happy, I'm here to tell you, it's like two putting two vacuum cleaners together, sucking the life out of one another. And so you want to hear what the Bible says about this, and hopefully you'll leave here today and have a desire to want to get back as quickly as you can next Sunday. Turn to Genesis 29 if you would. I, I want to build up in this story because I want to talk about a man named Jacob. 
And last week, I believe it was last Sunday, I talked about a guy by the name of Abraham. And Abraham uh, was the one that God had called and, and said that all families would be blessed through him. And he had a wife named Rebecca. And uh, sorry, he had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a wife named Rebecca, and they had two sons. One was named Esau, one was named Jacob. Esau was the oldest, and he was the one to receive the birthright. That's how it was set up in that day, meaning I talked a little bit about this last week. You got the inheritance. You were the overseer of the family. You were the leader of the family. Everything belonged to you. You divided it up among the others, and you made sure that the family was taken care of. That was Esau. He was the oldest, but there was some trickery that went on. And even though Jacob was the youngest, his mother helped him trick his father Isaac when Isaac was old. And instead of the birthright blessing going to Esau, it ended up going to Jacob by some trickery. When Esau found out that he had lost all of the inheritance and the birthright because of Jacob's trickery, he made a decision and told Jacob, Esau did, when daddy dies, you die. I'm killing you when daddy is dead. Well, uh, Jacob's mother, Rebecca, heard that. She loved Jacob. And so she found a way to get Jacob out of the, out of the land. So here Jacob is having by trickery, but yet Isaac had to stick with it. Everything was given to Jacob, but because of Esau's anger and hostility, made a determination he was going to kill him. Jacob basically loses everything because the mother says, I need to send you away. And sure enough, he sent him to another land, a land where she came from, where her parents, uh, his, uh, her brother Laban lived in the land of Haran. So she said, I just want you to go to my family and, uh, and just see how things go there. And then maybe there's a time that you can come back. So sure enough, Jacob leaves and he ends up in, in the land of Haran. Now, chapter 29 gives us the narrative, and I want to read verses, I won't read the whole thing, but I do want to read verses 16 through 20. Genesis 29, 16 through 20. And it says this, verse 16, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to be to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. So he gets to the land. He's waiting at this well. And this woman, he asked, he asked at the well, where is Laban, where is, uh, where is Laban's family? And the servant there says that Laban's family is wherever it is, not far away, but his daughter Rachel is on the way. Rachel gets to the well, uh, Jacob sees her, he recognizes her to be or was told that that's one of your relatives, uh, and he, he kisses her because he's got to this place of safety. Right away, they take him to the home. Laban is excited to know my nephew is here. And, uh, and he starts working for the family for about 30 days. Because remember, weren't sure how long before he'd be able to go back. He starts working for the family for 30 days. And then Laban says to him, listen, even though you're my relative, there's no reason for you to be working for nothing. What is the wage that you want? And notice what Jacob does. Notice the language 
about the Bible actually here because even though Leah was the oldest, it said she was weak-eyed. Some translations may say tender-eyed. And uh, there's, I, I'm telling you, I've searched and searched and searched, and it wasn't, it was not the first time I've dealt with this. It's hard to get a complete understanding of what that tender-eyed and weak-eyed meant. Some people might think that, it, that, that she was either cross-eyed or just had eye problems. And that, that literally could be the case. Uh, but, but the idiom, the way the construction is, and this is honestly where I landed, it's, a, it's, it's used like you see the Proverbs where there's a contrast where it says the fool will do this, but the wise man will do that. Well, the, the, the construction of this verse is a contrasting form that Leah looks like this and Rachel is a hottie. That's basically what it says. Leah doesn't look as good. She's not the, the nicest thing to look upon with your eyes, but Rachel had a body and Rachel was beautiful. That's honestly the contrast that, that is basically saying here. So when Laban makes this, this proposal, basically Jacob says, man, you don't need no, I don't need no money. Just give me the girl. I mean, that's basically what Jacob says. Give me the gal. And uh, Laban says, okay, uh, so you'll have to work for her for seven years. And the, the Bible says that it seemed like it was no time, even though it was seven years. Now, some of you that's been through this road of romance, you, you kind of get this. You've had those conversations on the phone where it's, you, you figure, you know, man, we better get off the phone. We've been talking for quite a while, and you look at the watch, and it's actually been five hours. It, it, am I the only one been in love? I mean, you get that, right? I mean, you, you know, because it didn't seem like no time. You love the person, you're into the conversation, you're into the person, and five hours later, you've been on the phone, and it just seemed like, I mean, you'd have missed all your favorite shows, I'd have missed the NASCAR race, I'd have missed the football game, I'd have missed it all, because why? You in love, and you want to be with that person, so it doesn't matter how long you're talking, it just seems like a few minutes can the church say amen. All right, so we're on the same page. Seven years, it didn't seem like anything. But here's where the trouble begins. Because in verse 21, the time came for Jacob to get Rachel. And the scripture says, verse 21 says, Then Jacob said to Laban, Since my time is complete, give me my wife so I can sleep with her. Now, I'm going to tell you something. As a father, that sounds horrible. Basically, Jacob said, Listen, it's been seven years. Give me the gal so I can have sex with her. That's basically, basically what he said. I could even tell you even more precise what he said in the Hebrew language, but it was not the kind of thing a father would want to hear from a man that you're giving the, your daughter to. But that's how caught up Jacob had already become with what's coming next. Are y'all following me? Y'all doing all right? I'm, I'm being as kid-friendly as I can. Y'all cool? Thumbs up if I'm doing okay. All right. So Laban then does a one-up on him. Verse 22. So Laban invited all the men of the place and, 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 and sponsored a feast. That evening, Laban took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and he slept with her. When morning came, there was Leah. So he said to Laban, what have you done to me? Wasn't it for Rachel that I worked for? Why have you deceived me? The trickster got tricked. They have this feast. 
and he's so inebriated that he doesn't even know which woman he's with until he wakes up the next morning and there it is, Leah and not Rachel. The trickster got tricked. Now, can I just tell you something? There's a passage in the Bible, it'll be on the screen. Galatians 6, 7, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always reap what you sow. And I'm telling you, that's something you need to know as a principle in life. God is always a just God. And if you go through life doing some rough stuff, tricking people, cheating, all of those kind of things, I'm telling you, 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 you sow the wind, I'm telling you, you're going to weep the whirlwind. God is a God that's not mocked. And so sure enough, the trickster who got something that he shouldn't have got ends up with something that he didn't want. Are y'all with me on that? You're gonna, you harvest it. You're going to harvest what you, what you plant. But let me tell you what's happening here with Jacob. He's, he's, he's in this romantic love and, 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 and sex has become like a counterfeit God to him. Honestly, on the one hand, if I could just take another pause, uh, on, on the one hand, Jacob is kind of the OG for the pickup culture. I mean, he, he's, he's kind of, and, and, and the climate that we're living in now, for a lot of folks, it's not even totally about absolute love. It's, it's almost ordinary and casual uh, and, and with no commitment just to hook up with people. And, and I'm telling you, young people, I'm telling you, adults, you, you got to guard your heart from that. Th- that doesn't end up well for you. And, and, and you end up giving yourself away to someone that doesn't even necessarily care for you and love you, and, and, and you just end up degraded. You end up being locker room talk or bar conversation. You set yourself up for abuse, misuse, and dishonor. The Bible way on making commitment, the Bible way on having sex outside of marriage is the right way. It's the right way. Why do I only have five people saying amen to that? Why only five? Listen, the Bible way when it comes to relationships is the right way. There is no acceptance of born-again believers to have sex outside of marriage. Can I have a church that will say amen? And I get it, I know. If, if you're thinking, but man, pastor, I'm, I'm way past that, fine and dandy. Thank God you're married now and enjoy it as much as you can. But if you're not married, stop. Y'all all right? So for Jacob here, there's a little bit more to what was going on with him. Because there, he was actually trying to escape from the reality of what was going on, on internally. Jacob is feeling a little barren. He's feeling a little empty. He's dealing with parental separation. He's dealing with disdain and afraid of death from his brother. He's in the land where he now owns nothing and has nothing. And now he has two wives, one of them he doesn't even care about. Add that to the fear of, of, of Jacob having this fear of not really being loved or experiencing love. And now all of a sudden, Rachel has become a narcotic to him. He needs her to fill this void in his life. He needs her to do it like a drug. He's putting all of the weight and all of the hopes and all of the longings that his life will be satisfied if he can just get Rachel. And if you do that to anybody in any relationship, I'm telling you, you're going to suffocate them. You're going to smother them. 
You will crush them with your expectations and, and life will become distorted. Their life will and so will yours. No person can ever give what your soul needs. I'm going to say that again. No person can ever give your soul what it needs. And anytime you think that a person will give you what your soul needs, you'll think you're going to bed with Rachel and you're going to wake up with Leah every time. Every time you're going to wake up with Leah. You're going to be deceived. You're going to be disappointed. Jacob thought Rachel could, could fix that, could fill him, could satisfy him. And the trick ended up just landing right where he was living, full of dis deception, disappointment, and unfulfilling. There's a book, and I haven't read the complete book, and, uh, but it's, it's actually better than I thought. The book is called The Denial of Death by Ernest Becker. And let me just tell you one quote that he has in there. It says, the failure of romantic love as a solution to human problems is so much a part of modern man's frustration. No human relationship can bear the burden of godhood. However much we may idolize and idolize him or her, the love partner, he inevitably reflects earthly decay and imperfection. After all, what is it that we want when we elevate the love partner to this position? We want to be rid of our faults, of our feeling of nothingness. We want to be justified to know our existence has not been in vain. We want redemption, nothing less. But needless to say, human partners cannot give this, end of quote. That's so, so true. That's what we're learning here in this passage in Genesis 29. Tim Keller said it this way, and this was straight out of counterfeit gods. He says, we may wonder how Jacob could have been so gullible. His father-in-law switches Leah for Rachel on his wedding day. But Jacob's behavior was that of an addict. There are many ways that romantic love can function as a kind of drug to help us escape the reality of our, li of our, of our, life, our lives. Our fears and inner barrenness make love a narcotic, a way to medicate ourselves. And addicts, addicts always make foolish, destructive choices. This is what happened to Jacob. Rachel was not just his wife, but Rachel had became his savior. That's not where we want to go. That's not where we want to live. Unfortunately, this story doesn't end there. Because now, look, look what's got to happen. Because Laban comes and says, listen, it's our custom. This is verse 26. It's our custom for you to for the, for the, for marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn. So in other words, uh, what he's saying is not our custom to marry off the younger. The oldest one has to get married first. So he done the trick and then says that's our custom. Basically, he made that up. But, but he said, if you want Rachel, then you're going to have to work another seven years for me. But first, you have to spend a week with Leah because that's the way we celebrate the marriage. So can you imagine Rachel, I mean, sorry, Jacob and Leah spending seven nights together as part of their marital celebration. And he's sleeping seven nights with a woman he don't want. And this woman is sleeping seven nights with a man that don't want her. Can you imagine the pain and the anguish that she's going through because of his heart toward another? The effect that that had on her is actually expressed when she started having children. 
verse number 31, and I love this, and thank God for God's goodness. The scripture says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he saw that this woman was not loved by this man. He enabled her to have children. Because after the seven days, Rachel now could also be with them. He had to work seven more years, but now he's got the two wives. But the Lord didn't allow Rachel to have children because in his justice, he saw that Leah was unloved. But here's Leah's heart now because she wants this man to love her. She wants this man to love her. So she has a child. She named him Reuben. And this is what she said. The Lord has noticed my misery. Now my husband will love me. But that didn't work. Then she got pregnant again. She had another son, named him Simeon. And she said, the Lord heard that I was unloved and has given me another son. And said, I'm going to name him Simeon, uh, that, that the Lord had given her another son. Still didn't work. Then she had a third son, Levi, and said, surely this time my husband would at least have some affection for me. And it didn't work. She, she's, she's trying with everything she can to make this man love her, to make this man love her. And this is what happens when this stuff goes bad. Let me, let me, besides her being broken and wounded, but let me tell you what happens. When you find out that love and sex falls flat, this is what you do. You start blaming things and people. You start blaming things and people. Because of your disappointment. And so what you do, you start hopping to another, whether it be another person or another thing. And you end up just changing idols. Because you're still looking for something that ain't working. So it's got to be him, got to be her, got to be that job, got to be that career. And you start hopping around. Or you start blaming yourself. And you start beating yourself up and calling yourself a failure. And give yourself a reason to self-loathe or, or to live full of shame. Or, and maybe all, you start blaming the world. And you hate because it, this job never did it, so you hate anything that has to do with attorneys. This man didn't do it, so you hate any man or you hate any woman or you, you become cynical, you become empty, you become hardened, and it's those things, and I don't want to have anything to do with any of them. But there's a fourth thing. There's a fourth thing, and, and I'm just going to do another plug. Please read the book, The Third Option by Miles McPherson that really deals with this because I'm, I'm going to say there's a fourth option. Uh, the fourth option is to reorient and entire your, your focus on your life with God. That's the fourth option. In, 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 instead of blaming things, instead of blaming yourself, instead of blaming the world, just change your focus and start focusing your life on the Lord. Can somebody give me an amen in here? This is what C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity. He said, most people, if they have really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they, uh, they, would, they would know that they do want, what they do want is something that they cannot have in this world. There's all sorts of things in this world that offer a gift to you, but it never quite keeps its promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of a foreign country to go to or first take up some subject that uh, excites us or some longings of uh, which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. I'm not now speaking of what would ordinarily be called unsuccessful marriages or unsuccessful vacations or not good careers. I'm speaking of the best possible ones. 
There was something that we grasped at. And in the first moment of longing, we really wanted it and embraced it. But somewhere down the line, it fades away. I think everyone knows what I mean. This is C.S. Lewis. The wife may be a good wife and the hotels and the scenery and all of that may be excellent. And the chemistry on the job might be great. But you find out that what you were really, really hoping for has evaded you. The solution to all of this is to fall in love with the Lord who can fulfill all of our desires and all of our needs. It's to fall for the one true bridegroom who has already proven his love to us by dying on the cross. That's where it lands. And that's what Leah got. Because I want to close out with this. It's in verse number 35. It's, it's, it's chapter 29, verse 35. Listen to this. Once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. She named him Judah. But listen to what she said this time. Now I will praise the Lord. In other words, after three tries of trying to get her husband to love her, pushing with everything she could, of hoping that this romantic love will fulfill it all, and it came up empty every time, she finally settled with this. I'm not doing anything for, for him to love me. I'm doing everything for me to show my love to the almighty God. And I love this. I mean, after that, the scripture says she stopped having children. It was like mamba out, mic drop. It's like, finally, we get it. Finally, she gets it. Finally, she understood what the Lord was really asking. Just love me. And, and I think that should be the prayer for all of us. It's just for the Lord just to search our heart, just to, to make sure that our love for him is in the, in the right place. Paul said in 2 Corinthians eleven two, he says, listen, I want you to be a spouse to the one bridegroom, the one true bride. He's not certainly not saying about being married, and he's certainly not being, saying anything about being in love, but he's certainly saying make sure that your love, your true love relationship is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I think oftentimes that's probably where we get in trouble. We, we want Jesus as Savior, but not always necessarily as Lord. But I'm telling you, if you can trust him as Savior, you got to trust him as Lord and know that he knows what's best for us. And here I'll give you uh, just two more verses, 1 John 4, 9 and 10. The Lord is not asking anything of us that he hasn't already proven. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his son, his one and only son, into the world that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That's what real love looks like. It's what Jesus has done, what God has done for us. Listen, it's a fact. Every man knocking on the door of a brothel, he's just really looking for true love. You've heard the song, looking for love in all the wrong places. Augustine said it like this, you have made us, your, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until we find a love we can rest in you. That's the bottom line. So let me give you this last passage and I'll, I'll pray for you. Psalm 86, 11 through 12, it says, teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. With all my heart, I will praise you. O Lord, my God, I will give glory to your name 
forever. If you can agree with that passage, will you just say amen? Listen, everybody stand if you would. I've went a little bit over time. But I hope I said something to you that, that affected you. I know it was tight. It was rough. It was tough. But just, just help the pastor out. Say, I got it. 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 Father, you are so good to us. And there's so many amazing things in this life that you give us, Lord God, that we can enjoy and we can embrace and we can live out, Lord God, with such satisfaction. But what we're learning and what we know, that it starts with us allowing you to be the Lord of our life, that everything else that we add to our life, that it has no place upon the throne of our heart that only you are created for. And so, Father, I pray for each of us as we search our heart and we search our life and, and, and just look into the ways of you as, as we read in Psalm 86 that you will help us, Lord God, to, to know your truth, that you will give us purity of heart, that we will honor you in all things, that our heart will praise you and we'll give you glory and we'll give you honor forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Now we're going to go into a song of worship, and I do want you to hang with us after this, and then we'll come with some, some instructions. But I do want the prayer team to come, because again, if you're comfortable coming for prayer, we want you to feel like you can. And that we'll have a team here that'll pray for you, whatever the need may be. There may be something that the Lord has placed on your heart that you want somebody to join with you on. Or you might be right where you are and sense the sense of conviction and just, just know that the Holy Spirit can meet you right where you are. Wherever you're sitting, wherever you're gathering, wherever you're watching us, the Holy Spirit can come. But I'm going to tell you, though, the most important thing is what I just closed out with. And that's making Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. The Bible says this, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you can be saved. And I'm telling you, he wants to save you. He wants to save you from yourself. He wants to save you from the misery of things that you've been experiencing. And he wants to take you from a place of where you're reaching and longing for things that don't really satisfy and really become the center of your life where you can find that there is a lover who will be true to your soul, and his name is Jesus. If you want to make that commitment to Jesus Christ today, those of you that are watching online, you can certainly let our hosts know, or you can raise your hand in the chat. You can let them know that you want to commit your life to Jesus, and we'll follow up on that. Those of you that are here in the house, listen, we want you to know Jesus loves you, and so do we. The end of your life is not where it is right now. As a matter of fact, today can be the beginning of an all-new life if you trust the Lord as your Savior. And God is faithful and God is able. We're going to worship the Lord for about three minutes. Come if you want prayer. We'll be here for you. And then we'll close out with some further instructions.